CSN International presents To Every Man an Answer, the live apologetics program that equips you to give a reason for the hope that lies within you. If you have a Bible question or a question on the Christian faith, you can call us at 1 888 827 5276. Again, that's 1 888 Ask CSN. Let's get things started. Here's today's host, Mike Kessler. Hi, and welcome to Thursday's edition of To Every Man and Answer as we set this time aside every weekday afternoon to answer questions about the Bible from the Bible, look at current events, and what we hear in church. Is it even in the Bible at all? And so we want to just encourage you to give us a call. 8888-ASK-CSN is the number to call. You can be part of the program today. You know, uh, so often we'll be posed different questions. Oh, I can't believe in the Bible. It's full of contradictions or some other crazy thing they'll say. Well, is that true? Well, that's why we like to make ourselves available each and every weekday afternoon to do our very best to answer those questions for you so you can be assured of your faith. You know, I always tell people you have to have evidence for faith. There's a difference between blind faith and evidence for faith. And there's plenty of evidence to believe in the Bible. Do you realize that every coin, stream, all those things that we read about in the Bible are all found? They're all authentic. We can find the Jordan River. We can find the city of Jericho where the walls fell inward instead of outward. We can find the widow's might. All those things are all verifiable. This is missing in all the other books. And this is one of the... uh, other religious books of the world, uh, they don't have evidence for their their faith. Uh, you got to park your brain in, in neutral when you walk into church. Not so with true Christianity. There's evidence, and those that those that really research, you have to believe, because again, when you look at the alternative, like evolution, for instance, well, there is no evidence for evolution. There are no transitional or transitory life forms fossilized, or living. It's a myth. It's not really even a religion. It's you got to have something. They don't have anything. So uh, again, when we look at the truth in God's Word, you can believe what the Word of God says. We're going to have with us uh, David Clausen along with us uh, directly. Uh, Are you there, David, yet? Yes, sir. Great to be with you again, Pastor Mike. David is the uh, director of the Center for Biblical Worldview and Family Research Council. So glad you're with us today. Hey, it's a joy to be back on the program with you. Enjoyed our time a couple weeks ago. So thanks for having me back on the show. Always a blessing to have you with us and look forward to being answering some questions with you. You know, this uh, biblical worldview is so important because we have now a substitute counterfeit coming mm-hmm. in. Uh, as what we really should have as a worldview. I think it's called WOKE or some of these other acronyms uh, for this. When you realize their idea of salvation isn't through Jesus Christ, it's what they call social justice, which really isn't justice at all. And when you realize what the Bible really dictates is what's acceptable to God and what's not acceptable to God. It doesn't matter what woke says or uh, any of these other uh, uh, exclusive groups out there claiming to have the way. This is what's really troubling, and churches should not get wrapped up in this woke thing. Their idea of salvation is completely different than the biblical uh, picture of salvation. 
what is acceptable in woke is forbidden in God's word. Again, read Romans chapter 1, and you'll find out how wacky woke really is. So when we look at this, we need a a biblical worldview. Tell us. Yeah, no, I I agree with you, uh, Pastor Mike. And, you know, one of the things we've done here at the Center for Biblical Worldview is we really wanted to know what is the worldview of Americans? What is the worldview of our friends and neighbors, as well as those who go to church with us? And so we actually, uh, one of our senior fellows is the well-known researcher, uh, George Barna. And uh, in May of 2021, we commissioned a, a nationwide worldview poll because uh, I think it's important to, you know, for people to realize a lot of the times in the media you'll hear, you know, 51% of evangelicals voted this way or, you know, 60% of evangelicals believe this. And for many people, the term evangelicals really just become a, a political term. Uh, and anyone who maybe went to vacation Bible school in the third grade and maybe they haven't been back to church since, but they count as an evangelical. So we really wanted to identify who are true believers. And so the poll we did showed that only 6% of Americans actually have what you would call a biblical worldview when you measure for their beliefs and practices. We also took that poll into actual evangelical churches. And although 81% of regular evangelical churchgoers told us they think they have a biblical worldview, when you actually measure it for beliefs and practices, it was only 21%. Now, Pastor Mike, that's obviously a lot better than the 6% number, but I personally don't know any American pastor that would be excited that only one in five of his parishioners are actually looking at all of life through the lens of Scripture. So that's the lay of the land where we find ourselves. One other quick thing I'll add is, you know, I said 6% have a biblical worldview. What about the other 94%? You mentioned kind of a woke postmodern worldview. It's actually what our research shows is 88% of Americans have what you would call a synchronistic worldview, uh, meaning they pick and choose meaning they don't have a consistent worldview. Uh, they might borrow some ideas from pantheism and borrow some ideas from postmodernism and you know throw in some naturalism, maybe some Christian concepts. But uh, 88% of Americans actually don't have that biblical worldview that you just talked about at the beginning of the show. So that that's the lay of the land. And when we're making our arguments, it's good to know who's listening to us and what they already believe. Yeah, it's not a spiritual smorgasbord where you can build your own idea. We need to, as Jesus said, live by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. So important in the days we're in. Well, with that, we'll go ahead and go with Tom in Kansas. Hi and welcome. Holy cow, you got me on first. Hi. Hello, Mike. Hey, I got a little simple question for you. Can you hear me? Sure can. How can we help? Okay. In Genesis, when Judah blesses, I mean, pardon me, not Judah, but uh, Jacob blesses the, his 12. Yes. Uh, he, tells, he tells Judah that the scepter will not depart from between his feet. So when we get to Samuel, Samuel anoints Saul, who is in uh, a um, from the tribe of Benjamin. Yes. So am I just not smart enough to understand why he did that or um, I believe he was speaking of Jesus Christ that the scepter the overall picture of of the uh, the anointing the salvation uh, of not only Israel but the world again the promise made to Abraham through you all the nations of the world will be blessed I believe that is exactly what it's talking about there, because you will see there are times uh, through Israel's history where they didn't even have a king when they were carried off captive to Babylon. 
uh, there was no king at that time. We find a lot of those. But so it has to be speaking of that promise that through the lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ would be born. And I believe that's exactly what it's speaking of there. Your thoughts, David? Yeah, I think I agree with you, Pastor Mike. I think that it's also important to think about Second Samuel chapter 7. Um, because you know that prophecy that was back in Genesis is really clear uh, that the, the scepter will not depart from Judah. We know that uh, King David uh, was from the tribe of Judah, and we also know uh, that Christ himself would come uh, from the line of David. And so, you know, we, we live in a fall. And we, we also, one thing I'll add is, yes, Saul was king for a little bit, uh, but his kingship was a, a disaster for the nation of Israel. That, that obviously did not go well. And God actually uh, warned the people. You know, the, the people come to Samuel and they say, give us a king. We want to be like all the other nations. And God said, give the people what they want. And so Saul really wasn't um, plan A, so to speak, uh, whereas David was uh, the, the, the king uh, that fulfills that prophecy and that we know uh, ultimately Christ himself would come from David. Uh, and so I agree with you, Pastor Mike, that I think what you see in Genesis is ultimately pointing uh, to Christ himself. Uh, and I think Second Samuel 7, uh, the promise that was given to David, uh, also confirms that it is the line of Christ that is in view there. So I hope that helps. It does. It does. I had no doubt about, you know, the, the passage to Christ. I just was trying to come up with an answer for why did they go to uh, to uh, the tribe of Benjamin when it clearly said that they were going to be coming from the, the tribe of Judah. Well, again, you have to remember something. Saul was a man after man's heart. God had, I believe, David in mind down the road. But the people of Israel rejected Saul being really the prophet over the nation. They said, we want to be like all the other kingdoms around us. And Samuel said, don't you know they're going to tax you? They're going to take the very best of your crops? They're going to take... We don't care. We want a king. (laughs) Not really going by what God wanted for them. A man's king they want, a man's king they got. It wasn't until David came, a man after God's own heart, that those things were corrected. So when we look at this, we we have to understand, and again, the great lapses of of time of the nation of Israel, when they were dispersed, uh, carried away captive to Babylon, all these different things, where there was no king in Israel. I believe this, again, has to point then, and I believe it absolutely does, back to uh, the Lion of the tribe of Judah. And again, just as you mentioned, David, um, David, King David, was uh, of, of the tribe of Judah. And so understanding, I believe this is in God's great prophetic word. And I believe this is why, again, we can truly say that Jesus is the Lion of the tribe of Judah. Tom, stay in line, send you out some books, some DVDs. And with that, we'll go to Braden in Utah. Hi, welcome. Hey, thanks, pastors, for taking my call. Always appreciate you. Yes, how may we help? Um, question is, I've got two if we got time, but my first question was someone called the other day and asked about um, the concept or the idea that we exist before we're born. And it, it's not something that I feel strongly one way or the other about, but when I read the scripture, um, correct me if I'm misquoting it, but it's David who says before you're in the womb, I knew you, speaking of God to us, 
how do you reconcile that with with the thought that we weren't in existence before we came to this planet? Okay, well, you're, you're quoting there, uh, not out of Psalms, but out of Jeremiah 1.5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you and appointed you to be a prophet to the nations. Now, David also talks about this in Psalms 139, uh, verses 13 through 16, where he says, you knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for that. Now, something we have to remember, we go to Revelation chapter 22, the last book of the Bible, last chapter of the Bible, and there it says, I'm Alpha and Omega, beginning and the end, first and the last. God does not learn. He lives in all times present. Now, we have not been in all times present. We were created just as Adam and Eve were in the garden. They were not in a pre-existing state before they were created in the Garden of Eden. And I don't believe we were in a pre-existing state physically before we were created in our mother's womb. Now, that doesn't mean that God did not know that we were going to come along. This is why in the Bible you'll find these verses in the New Testament speaking of predestination. Well, predestination in the Bible is always, always from God's perspective. But from our perspective, we don't know. That's why the Bible says to preach the gospel to every creature. This is why the Bible says, for God so loved the world, said his only begotten son, whosoever would believe in him. Okay, the point is simply this, is that God doesn't learn, lives in all times present. He already knows the end from the beginning. People have often asked, well, then why do we go have to go through this zoo we call living every day? Well, it isn't for God's benefit. It's for ours. Again, this is something that the angels never had to understand. All they ever were created in the complete power majesty of God. So rebelling against the Lord with Lucifer was not a, 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 something that they didn't, they'd never experienced before. But we, being born in an old sin nature... Seeing that we need a Savior, understanding God's holiness and righteous standard, we choose to follow him, and the Bible tells us that he knows us. Now, from God's perspective, does he know people that uh, will be born on this earth will go to hell? Because God knows everything? Yes. But God doesn't make them go to hell. This is where there's a lot of bad doctrine floating around out there that says, well, God just created some people to go to heaven. That is a lie from the pit of hell. God has died for, Jesus Christ died for everybody. But just because God knows the decisions that every human being on this earth will ever make does not stop us from making those decisions. And as the Bible said, you formed me in the inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. Very clearly, David says there, the writer of Psalms 139 says, that's when we were created. He said, you formed me in my inward parts. He's, he didn't say, I came from uh, Kola or some other planet and was born uh, inside, uh, you know, uh, that spirit moved into a human form. It doesn't say that. It says in Psalms 139, you formed me in my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I think it's extremely important that we understand that is when God allowed us to be created. But God's knowledge of us, because he lives in all times present, knew us, as the Bible says, predestined. So, uh, But again, uh, just because we God knows the ultimate outcome of every individual's choices does not stop anyone from making those choices. 
Your thoughts, David? Yeah, Pastor Mike, I think a couple of verses came to mind because uh, I didn't catch the caller's name, but I think it's a, it's an interesting question in one sense. You know, did we exist before we were born? And as far as any kind of existence as we understand existence, I don't think there's any evidence to, to say that, you know, we were floating around in heaven before we were born or something like that. I, I, don't, I don't see any evidence of that in the scripture. Some of those verses, the uh, Jeremiah 1, 5, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Uh, Psalm 139, verse 16, your eyes saw my unformed uh, substance. Uh, Romans 8, uh, 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined. And so I think the, the concept of time is something a little hard for us to wrap our minds around, but I think it's you know, God, the doctrine of God's predestination. God knows all things. He knows past, present, and future. Uh, before the foundation of the world, it says in Ephesians, he chose us. Um, before the foundation of the world, talking about believers, who he knows who has professed faith in Christ. And so I think God, surely he can look down the tunnel of time, know what's going to happen. And that's how he knows who we are. He knows what we're going to do. Uh, but this, I, I don't think there's any scriptural foundation for saying there's some sort of um, existence prior to time for human beings, whereas God dwells outside of time. Now, He's God is outside of time, but he's also in time with us, which is a, a really neat thing to think about. But I think directly to the caller's question, I think, uh, Pastor Mike, I think you're, you're very helpful in pointing us to the fact that, yes, God is outside of time. He knows what will happen. He has foreknowledge, uh, which is obviously something that we don't have. Amen. So I hope that uh, answers it for you. Amen. It does. I appreciate that. And it, that's how I've reconciled it in my mind. And I, I appreciate your, your breaking it down for me is that God exists in all times at, at all times. And so that's how he knows. And uh, that makes perfect sense to me. And um, if possible, my second question, if, if not, that's okay. I just wanted to know about um, the timeline in Genesis when we were created the first couple days in creation, there was no sun yet. And I'm just curious how the days were tracked. And if that's, you know, I understand we keep the Sabbath to honor uh, God creating us. And uh, just reading through Genesis, I wonder how we kept track of days. And if that's more of a poetic description or, or, or what's your explanation on that? I don't believe so, because the word in the Hebrew for the first day, the word day there is in the Hebrew yom. Now, uh, again, it's very clear, yom, as we look in, at other places in Scripture, it means a 24-hour period of time. Uh, we find in Exodus chapter 20, uh, in the Ten Commandments, the Lord uh, created the earth in six days on the seventh yom, he rested, uh, th that 24-hour period of time. The idea that people have often used trying to integrate evolution into the Bible, well, a day is, is a thousand years, a thousand years is a day. That is not speaking of that um, uh, time period. In fact, when you realize that the plants were created before actually the sun was, was actually fully developed. Now, there was light. I believe that was the radiance of God that was allowing that to happen. Uh, I believe the earth was in motion at that time, turning. Um 
I believe that's that. But to really get the photosynthesis and all, uh, if, 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 you know, a, a day is, you know, thou, that means the plants with, went out without light for, uh, you know, a thousand years. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. So, uh, very clearly, uh, the word day there is speaking of Yom, a 24 hour period of time, as well as Exodus 20, God created the earth in six days. Uh, and so any attempt to try to make Yom a large amount of time, billions of years, thousands of years, hundreds of years, uh, is, is unscriptural. So your thoughts. Yeah, Pastor Mike, I'll, I'll just weigh in briefly. And uh, earlier this year, I had an opportunity to go to the Grand Canyon with some of our friends at Answers in Genesis and uh, look at uh, fossils uh, and look at sediment rock uh, that would go back to pre-flood times, actually. And you look at the geology, uh, you look at the way the rocks are formed. Uh, I think the young earth creation perspective, which is often maligned today, even in some Christian circles, um, my perspective is that that young earth creation perspective actually uh, coheres with the geological record itself as well as a faithful reading of scripture and I and good meaning Christians will disagree on this and I think that's fine but I think uh, Pastor Mike's comment on uh, the the word yom and how it's used in Genesis again I'm a young earth creationist I believe in seven literal 24-hour days and to the caller I would just say um, there is good scholarly literature that kind of goes into detail on this more than we can just do in a, in a show like this, but I would point you to Answers in Genesis, uh, Ken Ham, uh, Terry Mortensen. Uh, they have written some fantastic articles on the Answers in Genesis site uh, that I, I believe uh, provide the geological and theological foundation uh, to give those of us who believe the Bible teaches a young earth creation uh, something solid to stand on. So I hope that answers it for you. It sure does. I appreciate you both. Thanks. God bless you. And, uh, Stay online if you like. Send you out a couple of books, a couple of DVDs. I think you'll you'll really uh, really enjoy. So, Braden, uh, God bless you. Thanks so much for the call. Let's go to Paris in California. Hi, welcome. Hello. Hi. Yes, I have a, actually a, kind of like a scenario, um, and it would be this, and I've seen it done in churches a lot. Um, say a person. <laughs> is called by the Lord and becomes saved Mm -hmm. and they get baptized. And then later on in life, they fall away and go and do things, worldly things. And then late, then later on, they um, come back and repent and um, ask the Lord to, to forgive them and, uh, and, you know, and so on. Do they need to be baptized again? No, and I believe that again. We we look at uh, as an example. We see Peter denying that he knew the Lord, cussing and swearing to a little servant girl that he doesn't know him. Uh, just what Jesus said before the cock crowed twice. You'll deny you know me three times. Jesus said. So w- when you look at that, you realize that all of us at different times in our walk with the Lord stumble. But the idea is that we would repent and come to him. Now, it is interesting to me, interesting to me in the book of Jude, it talks about people 
who knew the Lord and walked away and didn't come back. And in fact, God allowed them to be destroyed. That's what the whole book of Jude is about. And when you look at this in the very last, uh, uh, next to the very last uh, verse in the book of Jude, and I'll just read it. Now to him who is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless um, glory with exceeding joy. Now who is able to keep you from falling? He's able to keep us from falling. There's only one question. Are we willing to let him keep us from falling? And oh yes, that's very much a part of it. A person could look at, at a person they want to marry and say, I'm able to marry you. But it's not till the other person says, okay, I will. We have to look at this and understand that God does not violate our personal will. And I believe that, again, whether we look at the guy at, at the church in Corinth who was having unnormal affection towards probably his stepmother, Paul saying, you guys are slapping yourself on the back in your love thing. You're tolerating this guy. And in fact, he should be put out of the church because in the church, there's protection. But you are allowing him to behave this way, put him out, let the devil work him over, and with with the thoughts and prayers that he'll repent and come back. I still always use the illustration of the prodigal son. If the younger son would have died in the pigsty, he would still be in the pigsty. Living away from the Lord is a very, very unsettling experience. And the reason why that is, is because we find the compelling of Jesus Christ to watch and be ready. You don't know what hour your Lord's going to come. If it doesn't make any difference, then why is Jesus lying to all of us that are Christians? So I really believe that we find there is that compelling to walk worthy of the calling you are walked in. If we slip away, the Bible says he chastises those that he loves. Now, no chastisement, the Bible says, is good at the time. But in the end, if we endure the chastisement, it'll bring forth fruit in our life. I believe that's so important in the days that we're in. And so uh, we're coming up on a break here, I believe, in a couple of seconds. And uh, when we come back, I, I really, uh, David, want you to weigh in on this because we find, uh, again, the book, the whole book of Jude addresses this very topic. And, mm-hmm. and, uh, again, my prayers, person that backslides on the Lord, that they'll repent before they die. Certainly we find this, um, in the book of, uh, second Timothy, the last chapter, Paul being ready to be executed says, Demas bragging about this guy in first Corinthians, Demas now in second chapter, the last, he says, having loved this present world has departed. What a tragic thing to say. Did he ever come back to the Lord? Well, we'll have to wait till we get to heaven. We're coming up on a break. We'll be right back. This is a sound of not just one, not just two, but three heartbeats. Heartbeats that were birthed through the ministry of preborn, who helped this mother of triplets choose life. The heartbeat of a preborn baby can be heard as early as five weeks on ultrasound. The sound of a heartbeat changes everything. 
I came seeking termination, but once I got here and I took an ultrasound, I was overjoyed when I found out that I was having three baby boys. Preborn is the country's largest provider of free ultrasounds for moms in crisis. Preborn pregnancy clinics share the heartbeats of those in the greatest need, preborn babies. To learn how you can be a part of rescuing babies' lives, call 855-668-BABY. That's 855-668-BABY. Or visit preborn.com. That's preborn.com. CSN International is listener-supported radio. Have you ever wondered where to send a donation to support this radio ministry? Our address is CSN International, Post Office Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. Help get the gospel out across the country. Again, our address is CSN International, Post Office Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. CSN, bringing you solid Christian radio that's listener-supported. Take my hand. Edifying the saints and evangelizing the world. Great Bible teaching. Equipping a worshiping church. This is CSN International. of Jeffrey Man and Answer here on this Thursday afternoon with David Clausen from the Center on Biblical Worldview and at the Family Research Council and also Masters of Divinity at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. And so we're glad you're with us. Looking forward to doing that. Now, again, we had that question and uh, let's just go back to that. Uh, we lost Paris, but again, uh, the question uh, still remains, what do you think about people who, um, you know, they accept the Lord and then they go on a backslide binge and then they come back to the Lord? Do they need to be baptized again? We don't find that in the scripture. What the Bible really says we need to be is simply we just need to repent and um, return to our first love. Now, again, Jesus addressing the churches, Revelation 2 and 3 uh, he had some pretty strong words for them. In fact, one, he said, if you don't repent, you get your name blotted out of the book of life. So pretty serious uh, uh, consequences. Your thoughts? Yeah, Pastor Mark uh, and Paris, if you're still listening, thank you so much for that question. It, it's really important. And I, I don't think I can be dogmatic um, on my answer for this question. And, and this is where I would just praise God for uh, the New Testament model, uh, what I believe is a plurality of elders. I think every church uh, shouldn't just have one pastor who kind of makes all the decisions and calls all the shots. I think there's wisdom in having several godly um, qualified men serving as elders. And in a situation like this, um, I would want – I think you'd have to make a case-by-case uh, decision because – uh, absolutely, there are pe- none of us are perfect. My goodness, um, on this side of heaven, we we all backslide to some degree, uh, and so I think um, it would be important to to talk with this person, uh, to hear their heart, 
Um, because I think there's a difference between a prodigal, uh, someone who actually made an authentic, um, uh, decision to follow the Lord and then kind of make some decision, bad decisions, but then comes back, uh, versus someone who maybe gave lip service to the Lord at one point in their life, maybe when they were younger. And then for years, uh, there's just no evidence of fruit whatsoever in their life. Uh, in a situation like that, I would, uh, I would want to talk to this person, but I would think maybe that wasn't actually an authentic, uh, conversion to begin with. And what I would say is maybe you do, you, you're, uh, repenting and coming to Christ. Um, maybe, uh, you actually need to be baptized for the first time, so to speak. And so I, I think this is where the, the Lord is so gracious in his wisdom. And, and when he sets up the church, uh, the office of elder and the office of deacon, uh, where these decisions can be made in, uh, with many people who can be, can offer wisdom. And so I think you'd have to take it on a case by case decision, recognizing that there are some people who backslide and then come back to faith, but then also recognizing there are probably many people who never were authentically converted years prior and, and praise God when they come to you, uh, they're actually making an initial declaration, an initial decision uh, to following the Lord Jesus Christ. Hope that answers it for you, dear. And thanks so much for the call and the question. Let's go to Daniel in Con- uh, Connecticut, I believe it is. Hi, welcome. Hi, thank you. Um, I'm in Ezekiel, and it's a very fascinating book, but it's also quite complex. And I was wondering, if, I was hoping you'd put this into context for me. In Ezekiel 34 and 30, I believe 37 in particular, it reads as if it's a future prophecy, although he references King David um, being put on the throne and leading the people, though King David existed 400 years prior. So I clearly I'm missing something. So would you kind of help me put that in a bigger understanding? Okay, your thoughts on that, David? Yeah, that's a, a great question. Um, I just I have my Bible in front of me right now, and I do think there. It, it's really interesting when you look at the, the. Let me just say a general statement real quick on prophecy. It is important when you read passages such as Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Isaiah. Uh, I had an Old Testament pro- uh, professor who said when you come to Old Testament texts, it's sometimes like you're coming to a mountain range uh, from a distance. You know, all the mountains kind of look like they're together, right beside each other. But then the closer you get to those mountains, you realize some are right in front and some are further away, maybe even a hundred miles off into the distance. And often that's, I think, uh, the way prophecy is. There is a near and a future fulfillment. Uh, so many of the prophecies you find in the Old Testament are absolutely uh, talking about that, that first generation, talking to the Israelites. And then Others of those prophecies, I'm thinking of such as Isaiah chapter 53, is clearly talking about um, Christ and about what would happen um, 700 years later. And so when it comes to Ezekiel 34, 35, 36, um, again, I, I actually don't know. I haven't, I haven't looked at this passage in, in some time. My first impression would be there's, there might be some near and then some future fulfillment. And you can sometimes find that, Daniel, uh, in the same uh, chapter. Um, and so that's my initial thought on that question, uh, Pastor Mike. Yeah, and, and what I, I know what you're talking about here, and I'm just going to read it for the benefit of everybody listening so they'll understand. This is in verse 23 of Ezekiel 34. It says, I will establish one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them. 
my servant David, he shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David, a prince among them, I, the Lord, have spoken. Now, again, you're saying, yes, that's right. David, though, was was hundreds of years before this. This is speaking of Jesus Christ. Now, many people believe that David will reign with Jesus. And I I believe the reason why it's worded this way is because it's hard for people to understand, I believe, the reign of Jesus Christ before he was actually born. Though the Bible, there's many picture types, whether you go to Isaiah 53 or other scriptures, uh, uh, Psalms 22. Two, all these different chapters that speak of the Messiah that will come. But they didn't have that concept. And so he references something that they understood, like David. And many people actually believe that David, in fact, will reign with Jesus Christ from Jerusalem during the millennial reign. I happen to believe that as well. And so I believe that David here is is mentioned, but I believe that it's a picture type also of Christ. And this is why you pick it up as well. And if we go to 37, which I believe you're referencing, this is verse 15 of 37. And again, the word of the Lord came to me. Um, excuse me. Uh, not that one. Uh, let's see. Where am I at here? Um uh, one king, one kingdom, one king. Yes, it is Ezekiel thirty-seven, uh, and that he will uh, govern over them, and that's the idea. So, I, I is is this what what you're asking about, Daniel? Uh, yes, sir. Thank you so much. You uh, put it in wonderful perspective. I mean, seriously, how can anyone not find the uh, the Bible so absolutely fascinating? Um, so, thank you much. Appreciated. Well, God bless you, Daniel. If you like staying in line, send you out some books, some DVDs. I think they're they're really good, great for evangelism. Loan them out, get them back, loan them out again, uh, and and do that. But again, Jesus had not yet been born. They did not really have that concept of not only a Messiah but a King that would reign. All the people of Israel, even at this point, always reference back to the wonderful reign of King David. And so this is what they understood. And I believe this is why Ezekiel brings this picture in and then speaks in Ezekiel 37 of eventually Israel divided in two will eventually become one again. And that will be during the millennial reign of Christ. And we find it is again uh, reestablished there just exactly where the Bible said it would be. Jesus said Jerusalem would come back under control of the Jewish people, still speaking Hebrew and desiring to build their third temple. And we do know they do build it. It's found in in Revelation chapter 11. John is told to measure it. You can't measure something that ain't there. And I believe it's very possible that when this temple, this third tribulation temple is built, that it may very well be the dedication of it where the Antichrist goes there or a picture of himself or a name, some some representation of himself there. And from there, instead of maybe dedicating the temple, this would just be my guess why he's there, why there's all the focus upon this at three and a half years into the tribulation period, hmm. that 
why it's all there. It may very well be the dedication. But instead of dedicating the temple, he declares to the world that he is God and must be worshipped as that. I believe he knows that the Jewish people will not accept him as God, as Messiah. And I believe he's fully equipped, fully ready for full retaliation against the Jewish people for their rejection and world humiliation of the Antichrist. And he brings about swift retribution upon the people of Israel. This is why Jesus said, when the abomination of desolation happens, don't even go back in to get your coat. Just run for the hills. It's when he declares that he is God from the temple there in Jerusalem. They're just to run for their lives. And I believe the reason why is, and with the advent of modern warfare, uh, again, this uh, prophecy that Jesus gave concerning this mm-hmm. would not have been very believable um, 1,200, you know, 2,000 years ago. Because it would take time for to amass the troops, to get your chariots ready, all that to go after the people of Israel. But now with rockets and with bombs, this is why I believe Jesus said, run as fast as you can. Don't even go back in to get your coat. I believe up to the point of modern warfare, these things that Jesus was saying about the abomination which makes desolate, would have been pretty much impossible because nothing would have been that swift then. I believe it's only been in really the last 70 or so years that we see this swift retaliation possible where seconds count. Don't even go back in to get your coat. Run for the hills. Because believe me, the Antichrist, who's been heralded by the entire world as the world's global messiah, is not going to suffer humiliation from the Jewish people. And so he will deal with them immediately. And so I believe this is why we find it written the way it is. Hope that helps, Daniel. Yes, sir. Perfectly logical. Makes perfect sense. Thank you so much. Daniel, God bless you. Thanks for listening. Let's go to Alberto, Florida. Hi, welcome. Yes. Um, I got a question. When it's a biblical to say eternal life, eternal security, and save what we save. It's all three are synonymous. But sometimes when people give the, when they use the save what we save phrase, they, I think people give the, that phrase a bad rap. So those are people who who are who really are not safe, and they use that phrase, they give that phrase a bad rap. What is, what's your opinion on that? Well, Jesus said he, he, if they repented, he wouldn't blot their name out of the book of life in Revelation chapter 3. In order to have your name in the book of life, you had to be born again. In fact, we find it also repetitively in Revelation chapter 22 that if you take away the, the words from this book, uh, God will take your name out of the book of life. However your name got in the book of life, it's going to get taken out. Now, the thought of people saying, well, everybody's name is in the book of life, and then God blots it out. That is unbiblical. That says that original sin is not true, because everybody's name is in the book of life. What makes you a sinner is when you sin, not that we inherited it from Adam and Eve. And so we have a major, 
major catastrophe of conflict of, of biblical truth that either A, we were born in sin and we need a redeemer or that everybody was born good. And then when you sin, it makes you a sinner. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. You had to get your name in the book of life somewhere. And whether you call it the book of life or the Lamb's book of life. And by the way, the book of Revelation uses both terms. The first one is in, uh, is in Revelation 13.8 and then 17.8. One uses the Lamb's book of life. The other one uses the book of life. But if you look at it, it's describing basically the same thing. I don't see any difference. And so when we understand this, this is what the book of Jude is about. How the Bible says how God saved an entire group of people out of the land of Egypt. And then because they rejected him, he let them die in the wilderness. And then he goes even more. He said the angels, which kept not their first estate. Then he goes and says how they were kicked out. So I, I really believe that, again, the book of Jude explains this kind of a situation. Again, as I mentioned earlier, in Second Timothy, uh, the last chapter, he says, Demas, having loved this present world, has departed. Not from him. If you look at the context, it's from the Lord. But in First Timothy, he's bragging about what a great servant and brother that Demas is. And Demas backslid. Now, I want to make this clear. I think it's really important. The Bible says God chastises those that he loves. If you are a Christian and really a born-again Christian and you're living in sin, I can tell you one thing right now. You are not happy. You are in no man's land. You're not happy in Jesus and you're not happy in the world because ultimately you know it's a lie. And so you're on the fence. The Bible calls it being lukewarm. And what does he say he's going to do to lukewarm people? You get spewed out. Go to Revelation 2 and 3. Now, here's the second part. If once we're saved, it doesn't really matter, then where does Paul, Jesus, and the rest of the New Testament disciples in their writings, whether it's Peter or anybody else, get off telling people to repent since it really doesn't matter? Where does Jesus Christ get off telling a church mind you, churches, to repent since it doesn't really matter. Once saved, always saved. I believe Jesus would have put that in the Bible if it was a true statement. But to say that the person was never born again in the first place, well, wait a minute, that's in violation of Scripture too because you get your name blotted out. Mentions it two times in the book of Revelation. So I don't know. I want to be very careful in, 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 in this. Now, let me say something else. I think it's really important. I don't believe we sneeze and we're outside the will of God. I don't believe that we don't go through dry spells or even times of backsliding in our Christian experience. I believe this is sometimes even part of growth. And let me explain that. We, we live our Christian life. We come up against something, it overwhelms us, we, we go back and get loaded or drunk or something. We know we're not happy there. And I realized the faith that I had before my trial was not the faith that I needed to get me through the next trial. And so there I'll go back, dig into God's Word, 
you know, like you go to Gold's Gym or something and you and you build your muscles back up and you go and you meet the challenge and you're and, and you, you're victorious in Christ. I believe this thing of walking away from the Lord is not something that is a one week on one week off thing. I think it's best said in first Corinthians chapter six where Paul is writing to a church, not a brothel, not a bar. He's writing to Christians. And he said, do not be deceived. If that is true, I think there's a lot of deception going on in the church right now, where people are saying, hey, once you're saved, always saved, do what you want, you're okay. He said, don't be deceived. I think there's a real problem here. And he said, those that practice... Such lifestyles, and this is it, friends, a message to the church will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. Look, I didn't write this. I'm just the messenger. If it doesn't obviously mean what it says, then what in God's name does it mean? What does the book of Jude mean? What is Jesus writing? Where does Jesus get off telling the churches in Revelation chapters 2 and 3 to repent? Since it really doesn't matter, but it does matter. And he says, those that practice, there's the key word. That means an unrepented lifestyle that you don't want to get out of. I like my sin. I know it's wrong. I'm going to continue to do. But Paul had better hopes for the church at Corinth. And he said, which were some of you? Right. And I believe that's true. And again, going back to the last two verses of the book of Jude, he said, now who is able to keep you from falling? He's able. Are you willing? And that's the bottom line, Alberto, for all of us. And if it doesn't make any difference, then really all you need is John 3.16, throw the rest of the Bible away. Because it really doesn't matter. The compelling for a Christian to walk worthy of his calling, that's ridiculous. Because once saved, always saved. But the verse, once saved, always saved, is not in the Bible. Yes, there are verses that speak of Jesus holding us, willing to work with us, and again, chastising those that he loves. But if we don't endure the chastisement, he says, if you endure the chastisement. You know, I, I, I really believe that, again, we need to take our relationship with God seriously. But in my own personal life, I know there was times I've gone through through really dry seasons, really bad seasons, times that I was actually even mad at God because he didn't do something my way, only to find out that God's right, I was wrong. Your thoughts, David? Yeah, Alberto, I appreciate your question. And I think the, 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 the concept itself of eternal security, it's, it's a really significant and important question. I, I won't belabor this because I think Pastor Mike answered it thoroughly. But the, the, the concept itself of uh, being once saved, always saved, kind of in layman's terms, I think it's important because God's character is actually at stake. Uh, God's ability to keep his promises at stake. So Romans uh, 10.9, it says, If you uh, declare with your mouth uh, that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Uh, so that's a promise you can go to the banquet. If you confess uh, that Jesus is Lord, uh, the God's word is telling you that you will be saved. And, and if that wasn't true, then God would be a liar. And so I think, again, Pastor Mike fleshed, fleshed it out very well, but 
I do believe that if someone is truly converted, if they've had a born alive experience, they've repented of their sin, they've turned in faith to Jesus Christ, uh, that their eternal destiny is secure. Uh, because again, I think this, uh, God's character and God's ability uh, to keep his promises, to keep his word is really at stake if one can actually be saved and then somehow fall out of good graces with God. Because again, how are we saved? Uh, We're not saved by our works. We're not saved by our abilities. We are saved by God's sheer grace. And if that's the basis of our salvation, it's not about our works at all in any sense. And so I think, again, if you are truly saved, uh, you can have absolute confidence uh, in God's ability to persevere you to the end. And and like I say, uh, all I know is Jesus said you can get your name blotted out of the book of life. And I read the last chapter of Revelation. I'm not going to change that. It's very clear that those that don't want to repent, um, and he's writing to churches, uh, says you can get your name blotted out of the book of life. I don't want to take a chance with that. I've always told people this. If I'm wrong, hey, no harm, no foul. But if people say, hey, once you, you accepted Christ and you, you, and then, you know, you're taking a walk on the wild side and there was fruit in your life. There was people that you led to the Lord. All those things. Uh, we, I, I used that, uh, uh, that book that this guy wrote called Goodbye to God. He used to work with Billy Graham. He used to pack out stadiums. Hundreds, thousands of people get saved. And, and, uh, when, when you look at that, um, uh, 30,000 people sometimes would be saved in his crusades. He was a, 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 a friend of Billy Graham and he wrote a book called Goodbye to God. He completely rejected God and walked away. For me to say that guy was saved or that he, he, he wasn't saved and I see all the fruit in his life. And then what's even worse is for him to walk away. Well, again, somehow Jesus said, you can get your name blotted out of the book of life. Don't think I'm going to say, oh, no, no, that's not. Jesus was lying there. No, I ain't going to do that because I don't church, church. I don't teach church dogma. I teach the Bible. And what are you going to do with these verses? That's the big problem. Demas, having loved this present world, has departed. Oh, he's still saved. Really? Where's that? See, I believe that any verse that contains or pertains to us and our relationship with God. And again, I agree with you, David. It's not, it's not works, but the Bible says it is faith. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. So where does your faith lie? That's the question. And if the, again, he is able to keep you from falling. Are you willing to let him keep you from falling? That's the thing. But again, I believe God deals with us as a father-child relationship. And I believe that he will do everything he can to get us to return back to him. But again, if the kid would have died in the pigsty, the younger son, in the prodigal son, you know what, friends? He'd still be in the pigsty. And I think that's something that we have to always recognize. Like I say, if I'm wrong, no harm, no foul. If these other people are wrong, you might find yourself maybe not where you want to be on Judgment Day. But you know, I never worry about that because I love Jesus. I ain't going anywhere. He's got the he's got all we need. David, thanks for being on today. Wow, 
We, we, we're leaving a few people on the line. Rodney Joe, call back tomorrow. We'll put you on first thing. Again, Director of Center of Biblical Worldview and Family Research Council. Thanks again, David. God bless you all. Have a great to night. To find out more about this ministry or to receive a copy of today's program, please call 1-800-357-4226 or write us to Every Man and Answer, P.O. Box 391, Twin Falls, Idaho, 83303. That toll-free number is 1-800-357-4226. Subscribe to the free podcast on iTunes by searching for To Every Man and Answer in the iTunes store or visit us online at csnradio.com slash T-E-M-A. To Every Man and Answer is a production of CSN International, the Christian Satellite Network. The opinions expressed by our guests may or may not be those of CSN International or of this station. 